episode eight. Welcome back, friends. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Bible FAQ with Kurt Van. I'm Kurt Van Odeham, your host for the podcast that provides brief, thoughtful, biblical answers to your questions. And I'm excited about addressing another uh, couple questions here tonight that have been submitted uh, by listeners like yourself. If you would like to submit a question to be addressed on a future episode of this podcast, please visit the website at kirkvan.com. You can hit the contact button there and you can leave a message uh, with a question of your choosing. If you'd like the question to remain anonymous, just simply put a pseudo uh, email address in there. If you uh, would like your identity to be anonymous, uh, people have asked me about that, so that's the best way to do that. Alternatively, you can also ask a question uh, by connecting with us on Facebook, like the page, and then you can ask a, send a PM asking your question. And our Facebook is at Bible FAQ with Kirk Van. Alternatively, you can also email at question at kirkvan.com and we can get your question that way as well. Well, I want to get right into uh, the questions we have today. And the first question I've selected for today uh, comes from a listener named Doug from Pineland, Texas. And Doug submitted this question via Facebook. And here's what Doug writes. Question, see if you can help. Moses' father-in-law suggested to Moses to set up men to help him judge. But God told Moses to set up 70 men to help. Which event happened first? The scripture references are Exodus 18 and Numbers 11. I like this question because it refers to specific biblical passages and how that we make sense out of them together. Uh, Also, to add to Doug's question, he didn't ask this specifically, uh, but the natural question that's related to this is why were there two different leadership systems set up? Uh, Now, some Bible critics have pointed to these two accounts as an example of a contradiction in Scripture. Uh, They will say that uh, these two passages cannot be reconciled with one another, uh, and so it's a contradiction. So is that the case? If not, how do we explain and uh, reconcile or rectify, try to get that out, uh, these passages? Well, so... There, these are two different passages in the Torah, uh, what we call the Pentateuch, in which the text describes the establishment of a system for distributing and delegating certain leadership duties and responsibilities to people within the Jewish or the Israelite nation. So let me take the first account uh, first, and that's in Exodus 18, specifically in verses 13 through 26. Now, let me provide some quick context and background into this account. Uh, Moses has been reunited with his family, his his wife, Sephora, and sons, Gershom and uh, Eliezer. Uh, Now, when Moses, uh, he dwelled in Midian for uh, 40 years after he left Egypt. And when he returned uh, to Egypt prior to the Exodus, it appears that he left his wife and sons with his father-in-law, Jethro, in Midian when he went back. 
So now in Exodus 18, he's being reunited with his family. And so in Exodus 18 and 33, uh, excuse me, verse 13, upon reuniting with his family, Jethro, who is there with them, observed that Moses was spending virtually all of his time ser serving as a judge over the people, as the Bible says, from morning till evening. So literally all day long, uh, Moses was busy uh, judging between uh, the, the people. Now, a quick note here, it's been estimated there is approximately 2.4 to 2.5 million people uh, who are Israelites who ex exodus out of Egypt. And that's based on the number of uh, warrior uh, men that's given in, in, the, uh, in the biblical accounts and extrapolated beyond that to give an estimate of the total number of people. So somewhere in that neighborhood, we don't know for sure, there's well over 600,000 warrior men of fighting age, not including women, not including uh, younger uh, people and children, not including the elderly. So it's been extrapolated about two, two and a half million, give or take. So when Jethro saw that he was spending all his time, uh, uh, all day long, uh, he pointed out that this was not good, that Moses would wear himself out and wear out the people who had to wait on him, certainly probably for days on end until uh, he could get enough cases behind him to see even more. So Jethro pointed out that the task was too heavy for him to bear alone. So this was Jethro's advice to his son-in-law, Moses. Uh, he told Moses uh, that he should personally select able, capable God-fearing, trustworthy men of character, and that he should set up a leadership hierarchy uh, with some in charge of thousands, some in charge of hundreds, some in charge of fifties and tens. And that he advised that these should serve as rulers, is what the King James Version said, which comes from the Hebrew word sar, which is kind of just a generic term, means head, captain, chief, uh, governor, keeper, prince, steward, that sort of thing. Uh, and then these also, and we also read in this passage that these should also serve as judges, is what the King James Version says, judges uh, for the people. And this comes from the Hebrew word shafat, uh, which uh, means one who gives a pronouncement or sentence or who governs or rules. And so in this system that's described here by Jethro, Moses would speak to God on behalf of the people. He would retain that role. But Moses would also teach all the people God's ordinances and laws. And I think in context here, it's referring specifically to the civil laws. And that uh, these appointed rulers or judges that Moses set up would oversee all of the small matters. In other words, they would preside over the minor cases. Uh, and then Moses would personally oversee the great matters or the major cases. So he wouldn't be out of the business of uh, settling these lawsuits, if you will, entirely, uh, but he would just have far fewer uh, to oversee personally. Uh, so Jethro also made it abundantly clear that God needed to be in this arrangement. In Exodus 18 and 19, he says, now listen to me, I will give you some advice and God be with you. And then he made it even clearer in verse 23. He said, if you do this and God so directs you, you will be able to endure. Uh, the King James translation says, if God command thee so. So Jethro wasn't you know, saying, let's just do whatever we want and not worry about what God says. He's saying, you know, 
if this is pleasing to God, if God is in this, if, if God be with you, if God directs you to do these things, then this is what I would advise. This is some advice I would give you. And scripture goes on to tell us that Moses took the advice of Jethro. He chose able men out of all Israel. He made them heads over the people. And this word uh, is, is Roshi, uh, which means captain, chief, uh, principal, ruler, or head, as the King James Version says. And also rulers. Here's that Hebrew word again, sar, that we all already covered. So that's what, that's what um, Exodus 18 is all about. And that's the system that was set up there. Now, the other part of the question deals with Numbers chapter 11. And let me provide some brief context and background into this. The people of Israel were complaining. And this is one of the many times in Scripture that's recorded they did this. They were complaining about uh, the food that was provided. And uh, they felt, at least some of them felt, that they had it better in Egypt as far as that was concerned. And God was so displeased with their constant bickering and complaining and griping uh, that Scripture says in, here in Numbers 11 that he sent a fire into the camp as punishment. Now, I don't know exactly what happened with this fire. It's difficult to discern with the different translations. Some translations give us the indication that perhaps people were consumed by the fire, some of the complainers perhaps. Others seem to point to the fact that maybe the fires just destroyed property and not people. In either case, they were a menace and a, uh, uh, you know, a tragic situation for the people of Israel. Uh, and so Moses then, as a result of all this, he was becoming miserable with all of the leadership responsibility for these ungrateful people. Indeed, he had to intercede for the people every time that they displeased the Lord. He had to try to intercede before the Lord for them. And so the, the punishment would be less severe, if you would. And so Moses, in this case, even questioned God regarding why he was given the responsibility to bear or to carry all of the people alone. And Moses stated that it was too much for him and too heavy for him. And in verse 15 of this Numbers chapter 11, Moses even requested that God simply kill him rather than allowing him to continue in this misery. So maybe Moses was being a little bit dramatic, or maybe it was that he was so completely overwhelmed that he actually wanted to die. It's impossible to know, you know his mind and his true intention. We just know what he said. So God compassionately responded by instructing Moses of a few things here. He told him to gather 70 men who were known to be elders and officers of the people. Now, the Hebrew word here for elders is zakain, which actually means aged or older people. Uh, so we assume this is means pertaining to their wisdom uh, and experience. And then the word officers here is shoter, which is a scribe or a superintendent or a magistrate or an overseer. So in other words, these were people who were already held in high regard due to their age and wisdom and experience and also already seen in some to some degree as leaders or at least examples or role models of the people. So the criteria here is a bit different. God instructed Moses to take 70, uh, to take these 70 rather, these 70 people that Moses himself chose out of the elders and officers, to take them to the tabernacle of the congregation. God said he would come down and meet with them there. And God told Moses, I will take the spirit that is upon you and I will put it upon them also. 
and they shall bear the burden of the people with you so you're not alone in bearing the burden of the people. And so this was God's way of helping Moses, of God's way of, of seeing that he didn't have to bear this burden alone. Now the question is then what do we make of these two episodes? Uh, how, do we, how, how do they fit together? Uh, they seem uh, to have some different details here. Well, as I mentioned, some critics have stated that these are two different account, uh, these two different accounts rather are contradictory. Uh, this criticism kind of assumes that these are supposed to be parallel accounts. In other words, that they're describing the same incident or episode, uh, the same event, but they provide contradictory details or, or description. And, and I want to make it clear that this is not the case. Uh, these are not two parallel accounts of the same event. They are two separate events entirely, not two descriptions of the same thing. These are two events that take place about 13 months apart, according to the, the most common uh, chronologies and timelines that we see uh, of, the, of this, these chapters in the Bible. So Exodus 18 happened first, and then approximately 13 months later, Numbers 11 happened, two separate events. So if that's the case, and I, I think that's fairly clear when you study it, uh, the question is then why? Why are there two different episodes that seem to have mostly the same intention and mostly the same purpose? That purpose being to distribute and delegate duties of responsibilities to other to help lighten Moses' load. Now, I didn't read this part as to not to confuse the question uh, so much, but the person who asked this question for the podcast uh, kind of wondered if, it, if the reason was because uh, the second episode in Numbers 11 replaced the first episode in Exodus 18. And in his theory is uh, that the first system was a man-made system, which was flawed and possibly even pagan in origin, Jethro being what the Bible says is a priest of Midian. So this uh, theory assumes that God uh, felt that he himself had to set up a better system because uh, in Numbers 11 because the system that Jethro set up was flawed and didn't, it didn't work properly. And the question... The questioner also cited Numbers 25 as further evidence of the flaws of the Exodus 18 system. So in Numbers 25, uh, in, that, in that story, the people engaged in idolatry, aligning themselves with the worship of Baal. And evidently, without getting into too much detail on that, evidently some of Israel's leaders were complicit in this. And God told Moses to execute the heads of the people so that the fierce anger of the Lord would be turned away from Israel and they would be made an example of. So this questioner assumed then that these heads were referring to those who were appointed in Exodus 18 at the advice of Jethro, again assuming that this was a flawed or pagan system was the root cause. So is this, is this the explanation? Is this why there's two different systems being set up? Because one was man-made and flawed and perhaps pagan? Well, in my humble opinion, this theory does not seem to be substantiated in Scripture for several reasons. Uh, first, Jethro was a priest in Midian, as described by the Bible, but it seems that the testimony of Scripture uh, points to the idea that he was the, a priest of the Most High God, not a priest of some pagan religion of the Midianites or anything like that. 
Uh, also, and there's several verses of scriptures we could get into that. Also, Jethro himself was not a Midianite who who were ultimately a sinful people, uh, but he was a Kenite, which the Bible doesn't really say too much negative about. But he was dwelling in the land of Midian and serving as a priest in Midian. So th there were other Gentile prophets or priests in the Bible. Uh, the Talmud identifies Job and four others in the book of Job. Uh, as Gentile prophets, if you will. Also, Balaam, although he was wicked and did wicked things, there's no disputing he had uh, kind of the role in the office of a prophet, and God did speak to him, and he was uh, he was very, at least for all Bala Balaam's th flaws, he was at least smart enough to not disobey God and put words in God's mouth and say something contrary to what God told him to say. So another possibility of Gentile prophets and or priests is Melchizedek in Abraham's day. Now that is, of course, a very you know, disputed and controversial topic, but perhaps that could be the case. At any rate, you know, there's no reason to believe that Jethro was a wicked person or that he was a pagan idol worshiper. He seems uh, to be a believer in the God of Israel. Uh, and so Jethro made it clear also that his advice was contingent upon whether or not it was pleasing to God, if it were directed by God or commanded, as the King James Version said, which we already discussed that. Furthermore, Numbers 11 uh, does, was not a replacement for Exodus 18, uh, but was a separate event with a separate purpose. Uh, which we'll discuss here in a moment. So not only was it not the same event, I don't believe it was a replacement for it. We'll discuss why here in a moment, as I said. So it seems clear that not all of the heads of the people in Numbers 25, uh, in that incident where, where God commanded them to be killed, it seems that not all the heads of the people uh, were executed, only those that were complicit in leading Israel astray into idolatry. And we notice from verse 5, when Moses commanded to slay every one of the leaders who joined unto Baal Peor, or in other words, uh, only them, only those who were involved uh, in, in, the, in leading Israel astray. Uh, so it is true that God ordered the execution of the heads of the people, and the Hebrew term here is Roshi, which is a term that appears in Exodus 18 and does not appear in Numbers 11. However, Moses also told the in, in Numbers 25 the judges of Israel to discharge this order. So the, the people who Moses told to carry out this order of this executions were the judges of, Israel, uh, of Israel. In other words, the Hebrew word here being Shaphat. And this is the term that's used to describe the judges in Exodus 18 that was advised by Jethro. So we know at least some of these men were loyal to Moses and were carrying out his orders. So it's not as simple as just saying, oh, it was all the, all the ones who were appointed in Exodus 18 who were killed. No, at least some of the people in Exodus 18 who were carrying out the orders, who were loyal to Moses and hadn't strayed into idolatry, they were the one that were uh, carrying out the orders and not the ones being executed. So as, much, as, far, as far as we can tell, uh, from from the uh, from the terminology here. The main point here is that neither the guilty leaders nor the loyal leaders are necessarily identified specifically with one group or another. If you take the view that only the only uh, leaders that were appointed in Exodus 18 were guilty, then you must also take the view that only the loyal leaders 
were also those who were pointed in Exodus 18, in, in which case it doesn't address Numbers 11 at all. That seems far-fetched, but either way, you, you can't have uh, you can't have your cake and eat it too, as they say. If you're if you're going to try to tie these verses to Exodus 18, that you at least have to admit that there were some loyal Exodus 18 appointees that were loyal to Moses, and that's the only point I wanted to make with that. So even if we could show scripturally that uh, the wicked men, these wicked leaders, were only from Exodus 18 and not from Numbers 11, uh, only those appointed uh, as suggested by Jethro, which is not the case, by the way, but even if we could show that scripturally, we can't really draw conclusions about them based on this alone. And the reason I say that is because, think back for a moment here, God himself chose Aaron and Aaron's sons to be the high priest and priests of Israel. Well, God chose them, but Aaron slipped into idolatry and made the golden calf. Uh, his sons offered strange file, fire at the consecration ceremony of the high priest, for which God killed them. So if God himself appoints these leaders and they stray into idolatry, uh, we can hardly uh, condemn, you know, the leaders appointed by man who do the same thing because they don't have any worse of a track record than God himself in that case. The point here is human responsibility and accountability for our own sin. And even God sometimes appoints leaders uh, who mess up and do the wrong thing. So back to the question of why. Why the two different accounts uh, of these leadership systems why the two different systems? How are we to understand this? Well, in my view, the best answer is fairly uh, simple. And in Exodus 18, the description seems civil or secular in nature. The people are going to Moses to settle civil disputes between themselves, uh, both minor cases and major cases. But these are disputes between themselves, uh, not not about the law or about the you know worship or or uh, the moral law or that sort of thing. So therefore, the need was civil in nature, the appointment of civil leaders or secular leaders to take care of the minor cases only was deemed necessary. So the qualifications for these, these uh, appointed men were that they simply be able and capable, that they be God-fearing, which is just a general requirement for anything, that they be trustworthy, and they be those who despise dishonest profit. In other words, they would be deemed that they wouldn't take bribes. They would just be honest in their dealings and, and uh, judging in these cases. So they would be trained by Moses in application of the civil aspects of the law, and Moses would personally oversee the major cases uh, and these these uh, judges would only oversee the minor cases. And while Moses didn't complain in Exodus 18, Jethro wisely assessed that he could not carry on indefinitely overseeing all of the cases personally. Either he would wear out or the people would wear out and become impatient. And neither one of those uh, results would be a good one. So this was seen as an inefficiency in regards to time and energy. So uh, so this, again, uh, inefficiency in regards to time and energy and the civil nature, civil matters. By contrast, 13 months later, in Numbers 11, the matter in view was of a spiritual nature. Moses was overcome with the emotional pressure 
of the spiritual responsibility of leading God's people and interceding on their behalf. There's no mention of judging any cases between or disputes between the people. No mention of any of that. This is an entirely different uh, situation, entirely different responsibility. So Moses himself initiated this. He seemed to be completely overwhelmed uh, in this situation and kind of, kind of, you know, laid out his grievances before God. So God was the one that told him to appoint the seventy men. And again, there was no instructions on that they would be divided over thousands and and hundreds and fifties and that sort of thing. Just that there would be seventy men. Period. Uh, they were not given any duties for hearing or judging cases as they were in Exodus 18. Again, this is something different. And the criteria is even different. Whereas before they just had to be capable men who, you know, feared God and wouldn't take bribes. In this case, in Numbers 11, the criteria was that they had to be chosen from those who are already considered elders and officers, those who are already overseers and rulers among the people. In other words, those who already had a reputation uh, for being experienced and wise and considered spiritual examples and role models. And so this was a spiritual leadership role, not a secular or civil leadership role. And this is evidenced by the fact uh, that God commanded, that commanded them to go to the tab tabernacle and God imparted uh, a, a spirit to them, giving uh, these men uh, supernatural authority and power. So in summary, uh, there's no contradiction here. These are two separate cases, uh, unrelated events with different purposes at different times, 13 months apart. Exodus 18 appointed secular civil judges in a hierarchy. Numbers 11 appointed spiritual leaders who were specifically endowed with spiritual power and authority. And there were only 70 in total with no hierarchy. So the incident in number 25 that I mentioned does not appear to directly relate to either group specifically. And in fact, it appears to be unconnected to either one uh, of these appointments, either one of these previously mentioned systems. It's just something that happened kind of uh, totally unconnected to either uh, the setting up of either one of these systems. So I hope that makes sense. And I like these questions that appear to point to contradictions, but when you look a little bit below the surface and actually try to learn something uh, about the Bible, we understand that there's no contradiction at all. And in fact, there's very uh, perfectly good explanations on the difference in the details. In this case, the difference is they're not the same event. So there's no contradiction. They're apart, different purposes. Uh, different intentions, different everything. Uh, it's not that one supplanted the other, uh, but they were both intended to do different things. One secular uh, and civil, the other one spiritual, and together uh, they made for a good whole system. So I hope that answers the questions, and I hope uh, that uh, maybe some of us that hadn't thought about this uh, specifically learned a little something from that. Well, before I take my uh, next question here, I just want to uh, remind you that the Bible FAQ podcast uh, is 
just that, a podcast. Uh, it's also available in audio-only format, although the majority of the people who, who listen to or in this case view the podcast do so on, on Facebook and watch the video. You can also uh, listen to the podcast on audio only. You can do that through Apple Podcasts, through Google Podcasts, other apps like Spotify and Stitcher, and a host of other uh, applications. And if you're using an app uh, that is kind of a non-standard app, uh, you can probably still configure it. Uh, the information on, about that is on our website, kirkvan.com. And please do feel free to write in if you have any questions or difficulties doing that. So, uh, we're about out of time for today, but I'll try to answer one more question rather quickly here. And this question comes from Victoria, who is actually my teenage niece. And she asked the question, very uh, short question here. If Jesus was a Jew, then why aren't we? Well, there's a couple, this is a good question. There's a couple different ways to look at this. One is to explore the question, you know, what is Jude Judaism? Or what, in other words, what does it mean to be a Jew? And then the second way is to describe kind of the connection and the continuity between the Jewish faith and the Christian faith. So on the, on the question of, of Jewishness and what does it mean to be a Jew, you know, you can point to a lot of different characteristics. Obviously, there is the fact that Judaism is a religion. It's an organized belief system. But interestingly, uh, all Jewish groups agree that one can become a Jew either through conversion or through birth. So both religious and ancestral components. In fact, there's a whole lot of people who consider themselves secular Jews, uh, self-described as such, and they're non-religious in, in pretty much every way you can imagine. Some even would consider themselves atheists, yet they consider themselves Jews by the fact of their ancestry. So it's not just a religion, there's an ancestral component as well, although one can convert to Judaism if they embrace all, all of the uh, you know, all of the law and, and uh, the other things uh, contained in Judaism. Others see it as a culture or ethnic group, but, uh, you know, I should mention there's not a single Jewish cultural ethnicity or ethnicity. Uh, there are dozens of different, you know, ethnic groups that have developed over the thousands of years of Jewish history. And uh, even uh, in Jesus' times, there were Jews living in many different regions around the Mediter Mediterranean world uh, that while they were all part of a J Jewish culture in some regard, they were also part of other ethnic groups as well. So, you know, sometimes we refer to the Jews as a nation or a people, and that's the traditional explanation from the Torah. Uh, traditionally, rabbis use this term throughout ancient Judaism, not in the modern sense of a nation as a political entity, but in the ancient sense of a people with a common history, identity, destiny, uh, and that are all connected to each other. So that sort of thing. So when we apply that understanding, we realize that it means much more than just, you know, uh, assenting to a specific religious viewpoint in order to be a Jew. So you can't just be a Jew just because, oh, well, I like Jesus and Jesus was a Jew, so I want to be a Jew like Jesus. There's more to it than that. And so that's one reason that why most believers in Christ and followers of Christ would not be Jews. There's not the ancestral, the ethnic or cultural, the national or uh, uh, connection uh, for most of us non-Jewish Gentile uh, believers uh, or, or non-believers for that matter. So 
you know, Gentile Christians really just don't fit into any of those categories uh, very easily. And that with respect then to the second part of this, the connection or the continuity between the Jewish and the Christian faith, Jesus, of course, was in fact Jewish in all the ways I just described. So he would be a Jew in, in, in a way that I, for for instance, wouldn't. But also Jesus and his apostles and his other follow, Jewish followers considered their message to be an extension or a completion or a fulfillment of the Jewish teachings and principles, not merely a continuation. And I think of, uh, you know, so many verses of scripture we can point to, but I think of Matthew uh, five, starting with verse 17. He says, think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle uh, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach others to do so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever should do and teach them, shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So it's clear from this verse of scripture, and there's many others we could point to, that Jesus considered uh, the, his Jewish background and his understanding of the Jewish religion to the, be the basis upon which his kingdom uh his religion, for, for lack of a better term, would be built, but it would go beyond that. It would build upon that. It would be complete and fulfill that and not be the exact same thing. So that's another way that we can understand it, why we don't identify as Jewish per se, uh, although that was at the foundation of Jesus' teachings. And Galatians 3, uh, verse 23 says, But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up to the faith, which would be afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But the, after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So here we see, uh, it, whereas we saw continuity and a fulfillment before, now we kind of see a break here. So it's both and sort of thing. Um, both are true at the same time. So here we see uh, that the Jewish understanding, the Jewish tradition, the Jewish law, uh, all the things that the Jewish religion brought us up to that point were important to teach us, uh, to bring us to Christ. But then after Christ came on the scene and we saw everything uh, that Judaism was supposed to be pointing to, we no longer had use for that schoolmaster because we had the figure himself. We had Christ himself and we are children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, not in keeping of the Jewish law or tradition. So there's that understanding as well. So it was an extension of fulfillment, in some way a break, but not a complete break uh, in any sense of the, word, of the word. And there's still many commonalities, if you will, between Judaism and Christianity. In a way, Jesus introduced a fundamental transformation to the understanding of religious and spirituality. Uh, there were certainly new aspects, refining and clarifying of ideas, if you will, but it also built upon and fulfilled God's plan brought through the Jewish people historically. And in the early church, uh, it's clear uh, that they struggled with the connection between Judaism, uh, the law specifically, and uh, being disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. 
Uh, there's five years from Pentecost to the conversion of the, of the Samaritans in Act, Acts 8, and another five years before the Gentiles would be converted in Acts chapter 10. So that's 10 years before Gentiles were accepted uh, into the body of Christ, into the church, if you will. And that was even sort of, uh, you know, questioned at the time by many. They had to work that out. Uh, ultimately, the truth became more and more clear, even though it was contentious and controversial at the beginning, that Gentile believers did not have to first convert to Judaism. They didn't have to be circumcised, obey the uh, ceremonial and civil law. Uh, Jewish believers were not required to, uh, to follow the ceremonial law or the rabbinical traditions. Although a person born Jewish who becomes a believer can still enjoy aspects of their Jewish ancestry and history and culture, uh, the early church discovered, came to the realization with the direction of God that they didn't need to be cease to be Jewish in that sense. Uh, they became Messianic Jews, but there was a shift. Uh, there was a connection, but there was also a transformation. And those people who were Gentiles, who were not Jewish, did not have to become Jewish first. And so that is the testimony of Scripture. And, and certainly, you know, there's many commonalities and similarities still today between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, uh, just to name a few, the nature of God, the one almighty, omniscient, uh, omnipresent, eternal, infinite God. The character of God is holy and righteous and loving and forgiving and merciful and all the other things. Uh, the, the Hebrew scriptures is the authoritative word of God. Uh, many of our, our um, understanding of heaven and hell uh, come from a Jewish understanding, at least from one, one you know, section or subset of Jewish teaching. Uh, some of the same basic moral and ethical principles and code we know as the Judeo-Christian uh, worldview, a uh, special plan for the nation of Israel uh, and the Jewish people. Uh, both Jews and Christians agree on all these things. So the critical difference really is really between uh, Judaism and Christianity is the person of Jesus Christ himself. Of course, Christians know him to be Messiah or Christ, Savior, the incarnation of God himself, whereas Jude Jude Jews uh, again, not Messianic Jews or believing Jews, but uh, Jews in general uh, see Jesus in the most sympathetic light, we can say at least, as a good moral teacher, perhaps even a prophet, but not the Messiah, not divine or deity. And so uh, really the essence boils down to what we do with Jesus Christ. Well, I'm way over my time for today, but I did want to answer more than one question today. So thank you for listening once again to Bible FAQ with Kirk Van. So until next time, the Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face to shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace. Thank you again for listening. Goodbye for now.